Thanks for tuning in to MANA, a short daily meditation to feed hungry souls with God's Word. These episodes were prepared by ordained ministers for a radio broadcast called Voice of the Church and are now republished by the Reformed Perspective Foundation, a Canadian charity that applies biblical truth to the issues of our time. Here's today's serving. Good day, listeners. Thank you for tuning in. It is a pleasure to be with you today, even if it is at a distance and over the airwaves. My hope is that during the next several weeks, that together we'll have an opportunity to spend some time considering some lessons that we can learn from God's Word, and in particular from the book of Ruth. It has been said that of all forms of literature, a good short story is the hardest thing to write. Of course, the reason that's so is because... By their very nature, short stories require an economy of words, which means that there isn't much of an opportunity for authors to establish setting or to lay out backstories or even to develop their characters. Now, while good short stories are very difficult to produce, when you get it right, they tend to be very powerful pieces of literature. I've heard it said that good short stories are like hand grenades of ideas When they work, they hit, they explode, and you never forget them. Well, here in the book of Ruth, a tiny little book of the Bible that's nestled right between the book of Judges and Samuels, here in the book of Ruth, we discover the greatest short story that has ever been written. And I can say that confidently because the author of this short story is the Lord God himself. And there's no doubt that the book of Ruth is certainly a hand grenade of ideas. When it is read through the eyes of faith, it hits us right in the heart, and it explodes in a testimony that speaks to us about the sovereignty and the enduring goodness of God. And that is a message, dear listener, that we need to hear so very much these days. As a result of COVID-19, we We find ourselves living in a world where, in such a remarkably short period of time, our lives have been changed changed entirely out of recognition from what they were just a few short months ago. And in such circumstances, we can find ourselves wondering, well, where is God in all this? Does God know what's happening here? Is he in control of all that's occurring? And how can he how can he possibly be working to the good of his people in times like this? These are times of uncertainty. These are often frightening times. And in such times, the comforting message of the book of Ruth is that God remains sovereignly in control of history and that he remains sovereignly in control even during dark and difficult days. He remains faithful to his promise to always care for whoever trusts in him. And so in these meditations, we want to spend some time. We want to spend some time considering this remarkable short story and so being comforted by the knowledge that God will care for us just as he cared for Ruth and for her family many centuries ago. And in today's meditation, we want to see how the book of Ruth encourages us to trust in God's fatherly provision even during difficult times. If you were to turn to the book of Ruth, and I very much encourage you to do so, it's not a lengthy book. It's just four short chapters that you could read through in less than 30 minutes. But if you were to discover that book 
you would see that it opens by introducing us to a family of a man named Elimelech. And we learn that Elimelech, his wife Naomi, and his two sons, Malon and Kilion, they are a family who's on the move. We're told that this Israelite family is, in fact, leaving the promised land of Palestine and that they're headed for Moab, where they plan to settle for a time. And we're also told that there's a reason why they're on the move. And that's because there's been a famine in the land of Israel. And Elimelech and his family, they're hoping to escape that famine by relocating to the land of the Moabites. And we need to appreciate something important about this move. We need to appreciate that when Elimelech had looked at his circumstances in the land of Israel, and then he had looked across the border at the neighboring land of Moab, he was being faced with a choice. And more than a choice, Elimelech was actually being faced with a test. We know from Scripture that famines were evidence of God's judgment on his people. God had been very clear throughout the Old Testament that if his people were faithful to his commands, and if they served him in sincerity of heart, that he would ensure that the land of promise remained a land flowing with milk and honey. But God had, in no uncertain terms, also told his people that if they forsook him, and if they inclined their hearts to serve other gods, that he would discipline them as wayward children. And he'd indicated that famines would be one of the means that he would use to turn their hearts back towards him. As such, Elimelech, he ought to have realized that he and indeed the whole people of Israel, that they were being tested and tried by God. And the nature of the test was this. God was asking Elimelech, what will you do, Elimelech, when there is a famine in the promised land? Will you bow your knee before me? Will you turn your heart back to me and will you trust that if you seek me, that my mercy and goodness will provide you with all that you stand in need of? Or will you rely on your own strength and ingenuity? Will you decide to chart your own course? And will you try to see if you can do better for yourself by moving to a neighboring land and seeking the favor of their gods? Sadly, as this story unfolds, we learn that Elimelech chose the latter of these options. He came to the conclusion that God either could not or would not provide for the needs of his family. And so Elimelech decided to pack up. He decided to leave the promised land and to seek his fortune in the land of Moab. And as all choices do, Elimelech's decision had consequences, in this case, tragic ones. The story suggests that Elimelech hadn't intended to settle permanently in Moab, but just to sojourn there for a while, perhaps staying there until conditions improved in the land of Israel. But time marches on, and as these things often do, one year turned into two, and two turned into three, and ultimately Elimelech discovered that sojourning had, somewhere along the line, transformed into staying. And in the end, Elimelech never made the return journey to the land of promise. He remained in Moab until the day of his death. And tragically, he wasn't the only member of his family to die there. Both of his sons, who had in time taken for themselves Moabite wives, both of his sons died there as well. What this story makes clear, however, is that even when men are faithless, the Lord God remains faithful. Because while the father and the sons passed away in a foreign land, the Lord ensured that this family line wasn't wiped out. 
He preserved the life of Elimelech's wife, Naomi. And more than that, when Naomi heard that the famine had ended in Israel, she decided to return home herself. And when she did, the Lord moved the heart of Naomi's daughter-in-law, a young woman named Ruth. He moved her heart so that she insisted on returning to Israel with Naomi. He gave Naomi life, and he gave her hope, hope in the form of a daughter-in-law who loved her too much to leave her. The powerful lesson of this opening chapter of the book of Ruth, then, is that God does not abandon his people even when they wander into sinfulness and error. He remains faithful to his promises to love and care for them, and he gives them ample reason to trust in his fatherly provision and care. Here in the book of Ruth, he teaches us that he is a merciful God, and by means of this short story, he demonstrates his willingness to respond in kindness and love to everyone who casts themselves on him. And he teaches us that he will be found by all who cry out to him in dependence and trust. The wonderful testimony of Ruth is that God does not treat us as we deserve, but in his long-suffering goodness, he continues to care for us and to work to our good even during dark and difficult times, even when those difficulties have been occasioned by our own sinfulness and shame. And why is that so? How can it be that God would treat his own with such patience and love? Well, because those who believe in him and, and cast themselves on his mercy, they may depend on the work of Ruth's many, many, many times great-grandson, Jesus of Nazareth. It's because of the perfection of his obedience and his sacrifice on the cross where he offered himself as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world, that God can and does respond in mercy and love even to wayward sinners. And that's because when he looks at his children, God doesn't see their sinfulness and their brokenness and their shame. He sees the perfect righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. And as a loving father, he's then moved to show kindness and favor towards us. That's the hope that Naomi and Ruth could look forward to as they trusted in the surety of God's promise. And it's the same hope that God's people today can look back on as they trust in the surety of God's word when they read of the completed work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let us, in the midst of these trying and difficult days, be moved to remember that when we cast ourselves on him, when we trust in his fatherly care and provision, we have no reason for fear. For our God will provide us with all that we're in need of and cause us to stand even in the midst of suffering and trial. Thank you for listening today. We hope and pray that you'll tune in next time as we continue this series of meditations on the book of Ruth and we see how God continues to work on Naomi's heart and in the life of Ruth and Boaz, her husband. Thank you very much.